When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you like Mondays? I like them when they're off. <laughs> when the Canadians are off on Monday? <laughs> yes. Good. Who sang the song, yeah. I don't like Mondays? You know, I don't like... Is it, was it The Cure? Or No, it definitely wasn't. No. It was... Um, yeah. On a shoot. Shoot. The whole bit. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember. But anyhow. Well, this is Monday, and we've got uh, the best who and got a notebook for you. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, listen, to, we've been talking a lot about Kokofiel lately. We we discussed Suzuki, Slavkovsky, the big guns. Um, but there are other players on this team, and we thought that today we would do a bit of a uh, a bit of supporting cast special, looking at guys that we talk about less often that are obviously that are not having as major roles on the team but you know who are worth talking about because of their performances mm-hmm. so uh uh i think yoel armia is an interesting case for for uh for discussion today yeah yeah before we go on it's, it's the boomtown rats that's saying uh, i don't like yeah, mondays a, yeah um <clears throat> and yeah uh you know yoel armia is a very interesting case because of the way his season began, um, being put on waivers, being sent to the AHL, coming back, going back to the AHL, coming back again. Um, a guy in his situation, a guy in his, you know, it's not as if he's had like a stellar NHL career, but he's an NHL veteran player. Uh, could have reacted to that entirely the wrong way. Um, could have taken that as a sign that, this team doesn't want me. Why, why should I bother playing for them? Whatever. Um, didn't do any of that and has really come out the other side. And like over the last month and a half. Yeah. Like a decent sample. I would say he's been aside from the three guys you mentioned, uh, probably their best forward. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. consistently like on a yeah. consistent basis. And so, you know, the other night, Saturday night, uh, Capitals get a penalty. Marty Stanley pulls his goalie. First power play unit goes on. Plus, Yol Armia is the sixth guy on the ice in that situation. On the bench is Josh Anderson. Uh, you know, our colleague Eric, Eric Engels asked Marty about that on Sunday after the Canadians practiced on, on a Sunday. Um, <laughs> That, uh, you know, was that a bit of a message to some of the other guys who could have been used in that situation? And without, you know, Marty didn't disagree with that, 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 you know, there's a spot there to be had and it'll go to the one who earns it. And the one who earned it was the old army. And, yeah. and I don't think anyone could argue with him. And so. No, it was not even the first time that he did that. No, you know, I, no, I it's think the second exactly. or third time that he uses him at six on five. Yeah. Yeah, so so yeah, it's been and and what Army is 
improved play has allowed, given the Canadians, is another viable line. You know, I mean, Alex Newhook deserves his share of credit for how he's played coming off a lengthy absence, a 10-week absence. And Joshua Hua, I feel, doesn't look out of place uh, on that line. No. And so that's that's a that's a second line that the Canadians can reasonably expect uh, to drive some positive results. I think Yul Army is a big part of that. I think he's he's the expected goal share leader by a country mile on the team over the last four or six weeks. Last time I checked. Yeah. Um, because you look at the Evans line with Pearson and Anderson, they go to New York and have a great game. Fantastic. Uh, Josh Anderson will probably his best game in weeks, you know, and then on Saturday they're invisible. Yeah. It's, it's the ghost line. So I think army has been a really good story. Uh, it's unfortunate. He's so kind of media averse and the media are so, <laughs> are so army averse as a result. Uh, because, you know, I did, I did ask to talk to him after a game. I think it was actually the last time he was out on the six on five. I forget what game that was, but we did ask to speak to him, and uh, it didn't come out. No, I mean I don't know if that's on him. I, I I would I would guess that that was just a case of either PR just kind of forgetting to get him, or or maybe he just didn't want to. But um, it's unfortunate because I think like his story is is worth telling. And do are you going to permit me a little a little aside here? Sure, um, right, go right ahead. <laughs> since I've been talking for so long already, but. Um, I remember, uh, was it, I think it was a year ago. I think it was last year. Army was going through a bit of a tough time and I sat down with him after a morning skate and he was actually in the mood to talk. And he, and he talked about how, you know, mentally, uh, it was really challenging. He was, he was very challenged mentally to try and maintain the level of play that, that earned him the contract that he had to try. Yeah. And he was, and he was making use of some of the, uh, you know, some of the performance, the psychological performance resources the Canadians make available to the players. He was speaking to um, their sports psych about it and and really seemed committed to trying to get past this. Because I also remember speaking to Yuri Lettinen one time when he was in Montreal and he was kind of scouting for the for the Finnish national team for world championships. And I asked him about whether he thought Armia had, had a shot, you know, or whether he's considering it. He's like, yeah, definitely considering him, but just need him to get his head like on straight, you know, like it's just like, and so it really is a challenge for him sometimes to not get too down on himself and not sort of be his worst enemy in that sense. You know, I remember Mike Matheson once said like, everyone looks at him and thinks that he doesn't care. I can tell you that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, it's the exact opposite. So this notion that army is this kind of this aloof guy that sort of goes through the motions and doesn't care is, is I think untrue. And I think we're seeing it now. Like he's this, this is the result of a lot of work on his part and a lot of commitment and a lot of swallowing his pride and just doing it. And I think you should be commended for it. Yeah. That's what, that's something that makes this, this story particularly interesting is that towards the end of the last season, you use the expression, his worst, his own worst enemy. That's exactly mm -hmm. the, the expression that he used towards the end of the season when I spoke to him and he said too many times, I'm my, I'm my own worst enemy and I'm being too hard on myself. And that's one thing I need to, to learn, to try to play more relaxed. Mm -hmm. And after starting the season the, in the AHL, you could, you could imagine that the guy 
would be buried in his head deeper than at any point. And yet he came out of it. And when you, and I think that on that same night that didn't come out after you had requested to talk to him, that's the night that Martin Saint Louis said uh, something very interesting that's really a, um, a glimpse into his psyche. Uh, he yeah. said, I, I think Army's just in a good place. I think he's found joy playing this game mm -hmm. at this level with everything the game is asking him to do, what the game brings. I think because of that, he's found some consistency. And that's one thing with Army is because, you know, we've been going on for for years, you and I on Twitter about the Armia things, the little moves yes. that show his creativity and the uniqueness that he brings as a player. But those glimpses of uh, of genius are used to be like really scattered, and sometimes you see it pop up and say, "Aha, here's an Armia thing." But yeah. the rest of his game would be totally mediocre and on some nights he some nights he would be brilliant on others he would completely disappear so consistency as it, it's hard to find for any player but for this mm -hmm. guy in particular i mean it's been his kryptonite his whole career and he's yeah. almost he's about to turn 30 so i wonder if a guy who's at that age can finally figure it out and if he can man that's that's awesome for the guy It's found it's found money for the Canadians too. I mean, it's, it's the guy that they consider to be not worthy of their opening night lineup. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. I think there were some there were some cap considerations in there, but I think you know if if, if he had made himself indispensable to them, that they wouldn't have cared about the cap considerations. Uh, speaking of Armia things, actually, it was funny the other day. I was talking to Sam Montabo about Armia, yeah, and uh, I told him the the photo hole story. He thought it was the funniest thing ever. It's just, I don't know if you remember this, but he was on a hole. Yeah, they were, uh, one day the Canadians were practicing at the Bell Center. And this was yeah. before they, they did morning skates at the Bell Center. Um, it might have been the team photo day or something. But anyhow, so, so a bunch of players after practice had decided that they were going to do a game where they're going to try and shoot the puck into the photographer's hole in the glass. Oh, yeah. In the, yeah, in yeah, the corner. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, So they're doing it forever, like five, ten minutes. They're trying. Armia skates over, just for our listeners, now that you remember the story. But Armia skates over, grabs the puck, first shot, boom, right in the photo <laughs> hall, skates away, like mic drop, goodbye. Everyone's like just amazed. And and Matthew was 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 laughing quite hard when he heard that. He's like, Yeah, that sounds like him. That's that's basically his deal. Like he just does just has otherworldly skill. Yeah. Um, and the combination side, like that's what's that's what makes people so frustrated about him is that you look at him and you see him do these things, you see him operate in tight quarters, you see him win puck battles consistently, you see his size along the walls, everything you see the entire playoff run in 2021, and you're like, man, this guy could be a difference maker, you know, he could really be something. So that's what Bergevin thought when he signed him to that contract. That's what Bergevin thought when he signed him to that contract, and so, um, Now, like he's got a year left on his deal. Uh, it's at $3.4 million. Um, you know, we're talking a lot about the, David Savard being available for trade. I, I'd be surprised if a team would be willing to take on that money uh, at the, by, by the deadline. But if Armia plays this way till the end of the season and he gives scouts like a good, you know, three-month sample of this kind of play, Yeah. Um, him getting moved at the draft 
is not inconceivable. But honestly, like if if it if if he plays this way, letting him play out his contract is not inconceivable either. Like he's like a good NHL body for the Canadians right now, which is they, they need these. <laughs> they need guys yeah. like this. Um but he's just become a factor again for this franchise, the way he's played for a, a considerable amount of time. It's not uh you know, it's not just a flash. Like this is this is a good chunk of time and let's see if he can keep it up. But if he can, then he becomes an interesting asset for the organization. It's not as though he's setting the world on fire, though statistically speaking, he's got five goals and three assists in his last 18 games. And mm -hmm. that's his offensively, that's his best push of the season. But it's just that if you pay I bet attention, you that total without even looking, I bet you that total would put him fifth on the team in scoring over that span. I, without even looking, I yeah. bet you after after the top line and Matheson, he'd right. probably be the next scorer. Like, yeah, well, that's, that's the thing. That's pretty much that's pretty much the year since the new calendar year. So uh, so yeah. it's something something happened in his head, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so. So five goals to assist is not amazing, but a, a team paying attention to what he's bringing and the fact that he's bringing it more consistently might pay some interest. But uh, our our friend Laurie Bennett was asking us uh, through uh, via Twitter, which team do you think would be the best fit as a trade partner for Armia? Uh, you know, who needs what he brings that also has a right combination of cap space and salary dump to make a deal work? But as you said, I mean, prior to the deadline, it's going to be tough because that's where yeah. a, a, a support player like him with his contract, teams that can teams that can add that sort of money will have ample choice of the sort of player that they want to bring. Would Armia be their first choice? I don't know. Uh, not at that. I, not at that number. No way. It's, no, and I, I and I'm not sure the Canadians. You know, the Canadians probably would rather keep him for another year. Uh, the well until at least the beginning of next year, uh, rather than retain money on the salary. So you know you can just play his contract. Oh, yeah, out, I don't but think. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, but but I could see him fit in Edmonton though. Uh, yeah. Not and not because 100%. of Corey Perry, not because of Corey Perry, but because that's a team that's that traditionally plays a a rather heavy style. They know that they have to play a heavy style, but at the same time, he has the wheels to follow. The quicker guys, uh, great at cycling, and you look at their bottom six. They they could need some. They could use some bodies there, because uh, it's not. I'm not sure if they, they'll get into the playoffs with Sam Gagne and Matthias Janmark and Derek Ryan and guys like that, and say, oh yeah, we're sure of where we're going with that. Uh, Armia, I mean, can you know, it can be very effective. He can can play on your PK and whatnot, but. There are certain teams that could add an Armia, but A, what do they have to offer? B, can they fit in under the cap? Well, the Oilers and, definitely oh, can. Well, there's also the fact that some teams, they might they might want to add a guy, add him, add his salary, but next year you have to consider also who are the guys that a certain team needs to resign. You know, if... Let's say Florida. Florida could also use a, a, a very good bottom six guy, but they've got so many blue liners to resign that they're not going to invest any sort of of cap space on a bottom six guy for next year, considering mm. that they have to sign all those guys. So it makes it very, very tricky uh, to conceive a, a trade with, uh, involving Yoel Armia prior to the summer. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, even like I think of a team like Colorado, you know, who just added yeah. Zach Frizia to sort of shore up their bottom six and, you know, they could use a guy like him. But, you know, I mean, they are, according to Cap Friendly, have $466,000 of Gabe Landeskog's $9 million LTIR money. Mm-hmm. Um left to them or actually, sorry, the combination of Gabe Landeskog and, and Pavel, uh, I can never say his name. Francis. Francis. Yeah. Um, which is obviously the rumored destination for, for Jake Allen, which was, uh, which was news to Kent Hughes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But in any case, that was a, a funny day for him, I think. Um, uh, but, but, you know, I mean, they could use, someone like Jake Allen, a goaltender of some sort. So I think that would be their party. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think the chances of them moving army before the deadline the, the seem um, pretty remote. I don't even know if they want to. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, but I mean, the point being the credit, credit to your army for making this even a conversation. Like it wasn't even something that we would consider being even remotely possible uh, in November. But do you do you buy his stock in the sense that you know it's it's a similar conversation to what we were discussing around Jonathan Drouin for years? You know, if only his skills could translate more effectively into a game on a nightly basis, if he could be more consistent, etc. Do you believe that finally that version that we've seen so far in a, in the past six or seven weeks? can be sustained and he can become that player on a regular basis or it's just one good streak and ultimately we're bound to go back to typical Yol Armia. Well, I think the one thing that I would be leery of if I was a team acquiring him is that um, is that he would again fall into that trap of putting too much pressure on himself. Oh, this team went out and got me. They want me. They, they bring me in. They see me as an important player. And then he starts to let his own expectations of himself crush him. You know, I mean, this is, I think what's, it's no coincidence that he's playing this way because no one's expecting anything from him. You know, he's playing this way, coming off a demotion to Laval. He's coming, he's, 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 he's almost a forgotten figure. Yeah. He was a forgot, almost a forgotten figure in the organization. And that, sort of freedom to just play. And that's what he's doing. And, you know, that quote you read from Marty that he mentioned, uh, the the joy of playing at, at this level and all this, uh, if a team were to trade for him, he came in as some sort of, uh, you know, desired asset and there's, there's expectations on him again and what have you, uh, external expectations, like who knows how he would react. Like every time he's been faced with a situation like that, Uh, when he was first traded to Montreal, when he signed his contract, like these, these, these are sort of benchmarks of when Armia kind of faded in and out of relevancy. Um, even like his, his playoff run, I mean, he was on a fourth line. Like I think that yeah. had a lot to do with it. You know, it was a great, good fourth line and, and could argue that that fourth line is, was a driving force in the Canadians being able to get through those playoffs, but still fourth liner and he performed. So, So that would be my one uh, that would be my one concern if I was going out and trading for him is how is this guy going to react to a team wanting him and bringing him in as 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 a guy that's important to them. All right, speaking of fourth liners, Michael Pizzetta, that's another guy who's on a good streak. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly not statistically, but he's a lot more 
visible on the ice. And it's funny because last year, probably around the same time, just around the turn of the new year, the minute that he got to play with Alex Belzil, seems as though his season took off and he had a much better second half than the first half. This yeah, year... He, bar he barely he played in the first half. He was a healthy scratch almost the whole first half. Not a whole first half. I would say almost. probably until mid-November until mid -November probably. But yeah, he's, he was healthy scratch more than his fair share of time at the beginning. But mm -hmm. he had a... He couldn't get it going at first. And he yeah. was struggling to find his identity. He was trying to... You know, he was mixed mixed with players like Mike Hoffman and Yevgeny Dadanov, all the spare parts that ended up on the fourth line. Uh, and now he's it's it's not for a lack of fourth line caliber sentiment that he's had so far this season, but he was not playing like that with Mitchell Stephens. But now since uh, Gignac, Brendan Gignac was called up, his mm -hmm. last six games, all of a sudden – Things are going super well for him. If you know, if you look at, if you dig into the, um, into the, the the fancy stats, I mean, the in the is in the last six games, his uh, expected goals for percentage is above fifty percent, which is in the in the ten games for before, him. Yes, I know. In the ten games before, it was at twenty eight point five. You know, mm. so it's 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 awesome for him. He yeah. needs to be that guy who just pushes the pace, makes sure that that just things are happening on the other end, far away from his net, that he's he's hard on the forecheck. Uh, but more than that, also, he, he's making more plays with the puck. He's, he's mm -hmm. a lot more active. And I don't know if it's because he benefits also from the speed of, of Gignac, but it feels like the tempo overall of that line uh, has been very interesting. And, and it's made not more so made more so by the inclusion of Brendan Gallagher. Well, it's it it gives you a, a line that brings you a bit of everything, right? So yeah, that's it. Because Gignac has got a defensive acumen to him. Uh, Gallagher will be the guy driving the net, and Pizzetta can play F one all day long. So mm -hmm. it, it, I feel as though there's there's more. You know, when when Martin Saint Louis was saying that there was more to his game, I don't know if there's more to his game than what we've seen so far. But it's nice to see that we, what he can bring. Right now, he's finally bringing it on a bit more consistent basis, too. Yeah, and that's that's the relationship between Marty St. Louis and Michael Pizzetta has been a fascinating one to me from almost day one, but really, you know, definitely since the beginning of last season. You know, like when, you know, when I mentioned that Pizzetta was a scratch for a long time, I forgot how long, but as a result of being a scratch, You know, he spent a lot of time with Marty on the ice after after morning skates, getting extra work in. Um, back when Marty used to do that, he doesn't actually he hasn't actually done that a whole lot this no. year, um, or at all, really. He gets off the ice pretty quickly after morning skates, actually. But we used to have to wait 30, 40 minutes after a morning skate to talk to Marty because he was out there working with the scratches, and that was invariably Michael Pizzetta. And so, you know, there's, I think there's there's in that work, there's a certain trust that was built between them like just his willingness to to adapt and and to and to learn new things and to apply them to his game um you know it's well first off i'll tell you this i guess i'll tell the listeners i don't know if you, you may, maybe you've heard this story but i i talked to michael pizzetta saturday morning before the game about this about his about his resiliency this season it's it's he has not been out of the lineup that often 
In fact, he has not, he's been in the lineup every game since December 28th. So, and there's been chances to get him out of the lineup and, and he seems to stay there. And so I asked him about it and, and whether it stems from that time, spending all that time with Marty. And he actually mentioned the first meeting he had with Marty after he took the job. So this is two seasons ago. Um, you know, Marty called him into the video room and showed him a clip. And the clip was of Pizzetta getting the puck in his own end, chipping it off the glass and sending it out into the neutral zone uh, where there was a, where he had a teammate sort of slashing and, and, and heading in that direction. And he's like, so what do you, Marty asked him, what do you think of this play? And Mike was like, uh, well, I don't know. It's, it's an okay play. It's decent. You know, it's not bad. Um, and, and Marty was like, no, it's not bad, but it's not, uh, it's, it's not the best play. You know, we've heard Marty talk about that yeah. all the time. It's, it's not the best play that you could make. Here are the other things I'd like you to just look and see these other options and what have you. And Mike was like, this was the first time a coach had ever told me not to do what I just did. The first time a coach ever told me not to chip it off the glass and get it out. Uh, just to expect more from him. And, and so what he said is, um, and, and Mike said this, this has stayed with him ever since this meeting. He said, uh, yeah, you did your job, but you're surviving. This is a survivor's play. You need to start living that survivors only yeah. survive for so long in the NHL, but guys who live, uh, they can stay. And so it was an interesting window into, into sort of how Marty views this player. And, you know, and we've seen him talk about Jake Evans this way. We've seen him talk about other players where he's like, there's more there than you see. But in Pizzetta's case, it's like, and this is what Pizzetta said is that what I offer is that, you know, exactly what you're getting from me. And, that could be true in a positive way or a negative way, but he views it as a positive that, um, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be hard on the four check. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to play hard and uh, I can be physical if need be, but I'm not. And and this is a kind of the point I made to him is that, and, and I don't know if you agree, but you watch Michael Pizzetta's game now, he's not just running around trying to hit people. Like it used to be, that was his MO when he would get on the ice. It's like, I'm just going to hit as many people as I can. He's still, listen, he still hits a lot of people. He's among the league leaders in hits. Uh, and he still fights people, but he's not always doing that. And, and he, he kind of said that I've started to realize when the time is right for that. And when you just have to go play and his ability to just go play is what Marty kind of respects in him. Cause you know, the fact that he can consistently stay in the lineup over Jesse Alonen, um, I know a lot of fans are frustrated by that. And frankly, I don't blame them to some extent, but but a consistent concern for Marty with Jesse Alonen has been his details away from the puck. He said the same thing on Saturday when asked about it, that uh, the details away from the puck are, are, are lacking and that they need to improve. And I think Pizzetta's got that at least in Marty's eyes, um, what he lacks in skill compared to Yolonen, he makes up for in, in reliability. Marty uses often the expression to be on top of the opponent. That's one yeah. detail of the game that Ulonen doesn't have. He's not no. on top of the opponent. He doesn't close in on the puck carrier. He he's not on the puck. He watches oh. the puck carrier. He doesn't figure out where the puck is going to go so and positions himself accordingly, doesn't apply enough pressure. So that makes him a very easy guy to beat defensively. So mm -hmm. if you only 
wait until you have your team has the puck to to turn on the switch it's it's that's that's not gonna cut it you know and it, it's weird because he's got the speed to close in fast on guys he's got the he's got the physical aspect but he doesn't win his battles again uh along the boards he's got Th those tools, th those raw tools that should enable him to do that, but he doesn't. So yeah. after that, the fact that he's a much better skater than Pizzetta, that he carries the puck much better, that he has a much better shot, all those things, everybody can see that. But if you could, if you do not do what's necessary, and Juan Marty says, you know, the, the defensive part of the game, that's not fun, but that's necessary. If he mm -hmm. doesn't do all those things, he'll never earn his coach's trust. So Pizzetta, on his on his end, might not, you know, he do s some of those things a lot better. But the the overall quantity of what he can bring is probably more limited. But he's got one thing going for him: it's the fact that his identity and his player profile is in scarcity among the Montreal Canadiens roster and even in their old system. So I don't know if things are going to change if they're able to sign Luke Tuck. If Luke Tuck wants to come to Montreal and sign with them, I don't know. But if he does sign and he comes to Montreal, that's competition potentially for, for Pizzetta. If Lucas Condota keeps yeah. yeah. Lucas Condota continues to, you know, to intrigues management, that's that's competition for him. Because ultimately, talent-wise, he's not a top 12 forward on this team. But it's just that he's got a niche that he's got to exploit. So what I want to see from, from Pizzetta, and I think that we've seen it lately, is how indispensable can he become in his, just in his own style of play that's proper to him? Can he play in a way that he will force Martin Saint-Louis to keep him in the lineup. Not just that he's going to be this, he's going to be kept in the lineup over some other guy who's not uh, deserving enough, but that his own play, even if other guys were healthy, he would still be there because he deserves it so much. So that's mm -hmm. the point I think that he needs to reach. Yeah. And that's, you know, and, and frankly, Listen, the situation is what it is. He's not going to be, you know, we were talking, I think, last episode or in a, in a recent episode about, you know, who are the guys who are going to be here when the team is good? I don't think Michael Pissett is one of those guys. You know, like, it's just, it's, he's, he's, he's here now, but what he can do is he can, he can create, uh, you know, he can create a, an identity um, as a guy who can, who can play that role, especially if he can start to, be used on the penalty kill, which is he's starting to a little bit. Um, and, and for the time being, he's useful to the Canadians, you know, until they get to that point where they have reached the future, where the future is the present. Um, he's a good bridge guy who can, who can, who can play in the NHL, you know, and that's, that's something he mentioned. He's like, I've proven I can play in the NHL on a, on a consistent basis. Like that's, I feel like I've done that. And I feel and like he has. He's not yeah. just a he's not just a scrapper and he's not just a, an energy guy. He does he does other things. It's a, if if I go back to the first few years where I was covering this team consistently, I think that he, he's gone from being Gregory Stewart to on his way to becoming Tom Kostopoulos. But he's not Tom Kostopoulos mm. yet, and he could be you know because Kostopoulos played over six hundred games in the NHL. 
and yeah. played a ton of and played a ton, ton in the of, HL. Yeah, a ton in the HL. I think he's one of the yeah. few guys who had 600 in both leagues. Um, I, he had a letter on his jersey. He played a ton of PK, which again, that's another way for Prezetto where he could show himself to be useful. Yeah. But I think that's scrapped. the profile. Of, that's a profile of player that he should look up to, you know, and to become yeah. that sort of player. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so it's, uh, and I think he also has that self-awareness, you know, like he knows, he knows his place, you know, he's, yeah. he's, and, and, and he also kind of recognized like, you know, that it doesn't matter if I play seven minutes, I could still go out and play those seven minutes and you'll know what you'll get from me. It's not going to affect me that I'm sat, I'm sitting on the bench for a long time. You can bench, you know, you can bench him in the third. It's not going to be an issue. He's not going to be upset about it. He's not going to, and then you can, like, he's, he's just aware of what he has to carve out. So, um, so good on him. And yeah, that's uh, you're, you're right to point out second year in a row where this kind of period of the season is where he sort of solidifies his role. But I do think, uh, you know, Jesse Lonan's got to, got to sort of pick it up. I think it's it's the coach is starting to get frustrated with the fact that it's the same issues. You know, he's given the same answer to explain why Yolonen doesn't get more ice time for months. And if you don't see improvement in something that you've clearly identified as a problem, then you're going to start to, you know, you're, you're going to stop giving the benefit of the doubt because you're you're not seeing improvement in areas that they're clearly working on with him. And so, because the skill set's interesting to be something, but it's, uh, it's tough to, it's tough to do that when, uh, when you're not showing, when you're showing the same, making the same mistakes over and over again, basically. Yeah. And, and I agree with your, your, your sentiment about not being on top of people, but it's also that he just doesn't, he doesn't engage in battles the same, the way he needs to, you know, it's like, it's, and, and sometimes he flat out avoids them. So it's, uh, it's something worth working on. Um, If he looked, he should look more at RVP now. You know, if he had more RVP now to his game, he'd be a completely more different player. To his game as a countryman, as like a, to yeah. make a Finnish comparison, if he had more yeah. Lekkinen in his game, yeah, he would go far. But he doesn't right now. And yeah. and to be fair to Jesse Lonen, he has always been cast as an offensive player on any team he's played on. He's always been a power play guy. He's always been a top six guy. He's been a, a guy who's there to produce offense. The other areas of his game uh, were never really called upon. So, but they're being called upon now. It's been a significant amount of time where he's been told that he needs to work on certain things, and uh, he's not getting there. So, I think he needs to uh, he needs to get the message. Yeah. Um, another guy we want to talk about today in the supporting, uh, you know, best actor in a supporting role episode. Is um is Arbor Jackai. Uh you know Jackai is another guy, you know, talking about Armia and uh his head. Uh Arbor Jackai is a guy who's had I think it would be fair to say that his season has been confusing to him. Uh yeah. he's had you know, he had a great rookie year. The world was his oyster. This town was his oyster. He was just loving life. I'm, I'm a defenseman on the Montreal Canadiens. I didn't play a second in the AHL. I wasn't drafted. And look at me now. I've made it. 
Um, you know, and, and he didn't want to fully agree with that assessment of, of how he approached it, but I think it would only be natural to, to have to feel that in some way. And that's not to suggest that he'd stopped working or whatever, but I think it would have been fair for him to assume that this season was going to be an improvement on that, that he would be progressing. And that just doesn't happen on its own. And so, you know, oh, he, took, he took things from granted. To, I don't know uh, if he took some, things for. I don't think he consciously took things for granted. I oh, think, yeah, uh, he, he said he said as much. So well, yeah, it's it's he did. Yeah, you could take an initial role for granted, but I don't think he. I don't think he. You because it sounds bad when you. And I think the way he said it, it's not that he stopped working. It's no. not that he. It's not that he showed up to camp unprepared. You know, like I think certain take things for granted can somehow have a different connotation than what he means by it. I think what he means by it is that he considered himself an NHL player and that was that, you know? And so, and, and, and when problems started to hit, it was difficult to handle because of that. And so here he is now and he's still not a finished product and he's still not, he's still working on things, but you know, was, Marty mentioned that he's seeing progression, which is a good sign for Jack. Uh, I talked to him. I think it was, when they play the cap Saturday. So yeah, I talked to him Saturday morning Yeah, and you know, he mentioned how, no, just a couple of things in his defensive game that have improved. Um, he found that he's, you know, he's not being as aggressive going to hit people along the wall. He found that when he was doing that guys were kind of saw him coming and were spinning off him and beating him that way. And so he didn't see like that happening as much. Uh, you know, there's a couple other, you know, gap control, things like that. And he felt like he's been making progression. And, and I asked him if, uh, you know, he, he got into that fight against the Ducks, that huge guy on the Ducks, Johnson. What's his name? Ross. Uh, you know, Ross. Yeah. Um, and I asked him if that kind of felt good, you know, and, and, you know, he had be more than held his own. Ross Johnson's a massive human being and, and more than held his own. He's like, yeah, it did actually. It kind of felt it was, been a while since I'd gone at like I'd gone at it with a real heavyweight and it's part of my identity and I, and I have to I have to find the balance between that and being physical but also playing the game and, and being defensively sound and yeah. kind of admitted that that balance has been hard to find for him all season and so that's something that bears watching and it's funny like when he mentions guys spinning off him that night the Capitals winning goal was Max Pacioretty had the puck wasn't against the wall. That's an important distinction because uh, I'll, I'll tell you in a bit, but he, he has the puck kind of the side of the slot. Jack guy goes after him and Pacioretty spins off him, sends it to protest in front, easy goal. Um, yeah. Someone should have been on protests. Let's be clear. <laughs> um, that was, you know, but so I asked after the game, I asked Jack, I was like, was that what you were talking about? Like that play? He's like, no, no, not, not that play. Like that, that I'm talking about specifically on the wall. He's like, on that play, I'm trying to force Pacioretty back towards the blue line, which is what I did. And then he just made a good play and, and he did spin off me, but that's not what I was referring to. So, uh, but still moments like that are happening. Um, he needs to tighten those up a little bit, but I think he's aware of it. And I think his, his head is in a better place now or a more reasonable place now than maybe it was in October. Yeah. And the game before against the, uh, the Rangers also, the, the Rangers fifth goal, I think it was, it became sort of the, the, 
the backbreaker on that game when he mm -hmm. he was caught flat-footed at the blue line yeah and it was that on trocek's goal if trocek's goal yeah yeah it was trocek's goal at the start of the third and marty after the game and marty the next day identified that goal as the one that that killed them yeah in that game so so yeah. but at the same time the, i mean the, when when he says that he wants to balance you know his physicality with a defensive play the, um, the the standout play of that second period on saturday was his hip on dowd you know on nick dowd so it was when he punishes opponents and mm -hmm. discourage them from going on his side that's that's part of who he is but i i, I we brought it up in an earlier podcast that to me He needs to be defensively sound to go with that physicality because this the physicality alone is is not going to be enough to to really well he might he might be feared by opponents but ultimately they might find ways around him or if he becomes steady in his own end it's i i think that's his ticket to probably potentially a top four role in the nhl a lot more than his uber slap shot <laughs> that led to a goal the other night 102.2 eighth hardest shot taken in the nhl this season yeah yeah, yeah. an insane insane slapper so so that's great that's part of his toolkit but uh, i still believe that he's got he'll, he'll have to find more of a defensive component to his game rather than hope that his offensive uh skills will 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 carry his play. well i mean what he's looking for is a marriage yeah. like he like when he was focusing solely on his defensive game his physical game went completely absent and when he when he focuses on being physical that's when he takes bad penalties and that's when he makes defensive mistakes so you need you can't have you can't be either or it can't be one or the other you know it has to be a marriage of both um the offensive tools are going to be there and i think the canadians like his offensive tools that's what mm -hmm. they that's what makes him unique uh but the marriage of the physicality and the defensive uh responsibility or just adhering to certain defensive principles while being that physical guy is the trick for him and that's what he's been grappling with all season and i think he'll get there i mean i really don't think it's 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 sure. an issue He's a younger player. He's in his second year as a pro. I think he'll get there, but it's definitely that's that's the struggle for him right now is 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 being able to do both at once and do it do it efficiently. And so, well, be worth, when we worth. when we talked about the the Canadians' young core the other day, imagine in two three years with more experience uh, and probably fine tuning these different aspects of this game. I think that he can really be a, uh, I won't say dominant defenseman, but very, very effective defenseman and mm -hmm. never be a liability the way that he's been at times this year. Right now, it's just a sophomore slump. Let's call it what it is. And it 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 affects one third of the second year players. It's a common phenomenon for various reasons. There's not only things that he might have perceived that he was doing okay and needed to work more on or whatever but there's also the fact that the leagues know you more and they they you don't get catch anybody by surprise in yeah. in your second time around but i think that with more reps in two to three years uh the canadians is going to have a good one and for all those who say oh there's no room on that defense for both jack guy and struble wait a minute i 
they, they might they I'm sure they would like to find a way to have both of them at the same time. Well, I mean, first of all, let's see what happens with Struble. Yes, he's had a great rookie year. He's he's been very excellent all year. I mean, we were saying the same things about Arbor Jackai a year ago, so let's see what happens. Um and the thing about Jackai is that he's the exact type of player you win with in the playoffs. You know, this is a guy who is the prototype of uh a playoff style defender if he can learn to defend but yeah. the the physical component the size uh you know when the when the standard drops in terms of what you can get away with and what you can't um uh he's 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 he should be able to thrive in that environment you know you you think back to uh i'm not comparing him to to either of these guys because i think his feet are better and his offensive tools are better but you know Sherat and Edmondson uh you think back to that D and you look even now like why are teams going all why are teams bending over backwards to try and get Chris Tanev you know it's 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 that style of defender that you like um why is there a possibility David Savardo get traded that style of defender and and so i think Jack guy's got more uh more mobility and 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 better feet but if you can have good feet and play that style of defense makes you a very very marketable player and i think the canadians yeah. are happy they have him so i think there's a lot of consternation about how the canadians feel about arbor jacka and i don't think it's i think it's misplaced i think they they see a lot in arbor jacka and they see exactly what i just mentioned is that when we're ready to be a playoff team that's ready to go and win playoff series this guy is going to help us do that and they just need to get him to that point but he'll never let's agree he'll never be Kristanev though. <laughs> no no, probably not. You know, probably not, but he's but he'll be a different you know, I look at a uh, Braden McNabb in Vegas. Oh, yeah. I think he could be a guy like him. Right. And that guy that guy let's agree like in a seven game series you don't enjoy playing against him. Like it's just not fun. No, no, you're right. And I mean McNabb is uh he's a guy who I mean he's he's found his niche uh but let's not forget that when he was in uh, in LA before and at some uh -huh. point LA was not too enamored with with him and they, they eventually you know they eventually moved him. Well, there's the there's the warning. <laughs> Actually he was yeah, he was they didn't move him. He was claiming in the expansion, but yeah, that's it. At some point you just let those guys Give those times uh, those guys some time to to flourish and perfect their game. Uh -huh. And right now, that's that's the incubator in which those players are in Montreal. So yeah. Okay, let's yeah. move to uh, to our mailbag. Otherwise, uh, did you have something else to uh, no, to add on? on no, I think Jacka? it's I think it's a good time for the mailbag. Yeah. yeah. All right. Awesome. Uh, as usual, uh, we have two ways to be reached. So you can email us at uh, basuandgodin at gmail.com and also uh, on Twitter or X at just uh, basuandgodin. That's the uh, that's the account for the show. So uh, thanks, everybody, for the questions. They were, again, numerous. So, Arpin, uh, why don't you uh, lead us with the first uh, email question? Yeah, sure. So this was actually kudos to Matt Crawford in Winooski, Vermont who sent us a question on email and on Twitter. So we were definitely going to see it, Matt. So here it is. And um, 
So in 2024-25, the Habs are expected to be one step closer in their rebuild and we'll expect to see growth in the players. There's an expectation of growth in the coaching staff as well. In the same way that C-suite executives undergo leadership training in business, you could assume the Canadian's coaching staff might benefit from having experienced experts assist the franchise as it progresses into the next phase. Is there a sense the Canadians may be in the market for a special assistant coach with playoff coaching experience next season? If so, who are some of the likely candidates the Habs are likely to consider? To that end, what areas does the current coaching staff need to improve upon to ensure a positive outcome in the rebuild? Um, good question, Matt. Thank you. Uh, yeah, this is something we've talked about, and this is something that is uh, legitimately a thing. Um, I guess I could share a story uh conversation i had on saturday where you know you talked to a lot of people on saturday yeah i had a busy day on saturday <laughs> this is actually during the game and i was i was talking to someone uh you know scout and he asked me like who uh who coaches the pk for the canadians i was like uh oh, stefan robida it's like huh might want to look into that <laughs> i was like well it's not my job but it's you know it's you see certain things where a veteran voice might be required. Uh, I think there's certain moments in games even where Marty is maybe between two decisions where he's still kind of fine tuning his, his game management, his tactical adjustments, things like that. Um, hasn't done it in a playoff series. I think we've talked about it. Like we don't know what that's going to look like. Martin St. Louis coaching a playoff series. Uh, he could be great. He could be not great. And and frankly, based on rookie coaches going to the playoffs for the first time or, or young coaches going to the playoffs for the first time, usually it's not great. Usually you gotta you gotta take some lumps and learn. And yeah. that's nothing nothing against those cards. I mean, I think John Cooper made mistakes, you know, when when the Lightning started first started to sort of contend. I think that first time they were in the Stanley Cup final, I think he you know, there I remember I wrote a story once about him in crunch time of, of, I think it was game five. I don't remember, but it was a critical game in the series. Uh, in the last like 12 minutes of the third period, Steven Stamkos had the same ice time as Cedric Paquette. And I was like, yeah, that's not <laughs> ideal. You know, it's like really not the way you want to do that. He didn't like that story for the record, but it's just, it's something that you learn as a young coach that the, the playoffs yeah. are different. You can't manage them like you would manage a game in November. Um, the one name that he actually suggested, he's like, he said kind of, uh, you know, like a Dave Tippett type would be nice to sort of add to the mix on the bench. Um, I don't know. I don't know the extent to which the Canadians are looking at that, but I do think that they're aware that they have a very inexperienced group behind the bench. They like their group, but there's an awareness and I don't know if they're going to address it at all. And if they do, if they will do it this season, this off season or not, but I do think there's there's a general level of awareness that this is this is an area that might need it to be addressed at some point. Well, what I find surprising is that when Saint Louis arrived, he didn't think it was something that needed to be addressed, and now yeah. that next year he'll be into his third full season with the Montreal Canadiens, with more experience, he probably think even less than before that he needs to have that surround himself with more experience. Let's not mm -hmm. forget that when Luke Richardson left for Chicago, uh, the Canadians considered different options. They went with Stefan Rabida. They had an opportunity there to add yeah. some experience. They, they looked yeah. at different guys and eventually they chose to, uh, to hire, um, 
Rabida, but it's it, it's it's it was surprising to me. It remains puzzling to say the least because uh, well, I have, a very, behind, I have a theory behind that. That what is it? My theory is that they they were not in a position to win. They had a young team with young players, and I think they thought that the the, the fit with young coaches learning um, alongside these players was a good fit, and that. But that I don't think that means that's how they would view it when they're ready to compete. And mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned it already. Like I would not be surprised this off season if the Canadians started making some moves like the Red Wings have made in the last couple of off seasons, which were kind of puzzling uh, from the outside. Uh, the, the David Perron signature uh, going after Andrew Kopp, JT Comfort this off season, like being really active in free agency to, to kind of add these, I don't want to call them fringe, but not core elements, uh, but sort of veteran pieces that'll help you win games. Uh, and so far, Detroit's going much better in Detroit than it is in Buffalo and Ottawa. And so you can't totally discount the value of, of what they did. Um, so maybe when the Canadians do that, this is something they might address at the same time. I don't know. But I haven't, I haven't heard anything suggesting the Canadians are looking to do that. I haven't heard anything suggesting the Canadians are unhappy with the coaching. Uh, mm-hmm. But the youth of their coaching staff is definitely something they're aware of. Yeah. So – I know that um, Letowski and uh, Letowski and Burroughs, or is it Letowski and um, and Eric Raymond, but some assistant coaches, their contracts are up at the end of this year. It's not Eric the Raymond's case. contract is up at the end of this year. Yes. Yeah. So Letowski to Letowski. Somebody else was uh, asking us on Twitter about Letowski. Uh, it was uh, Riley Montreal. Uh, you know, they, they were wondering what was his role with the Canadians. Basically, it's not too different from what Dominique Duchamp was doing under Claude Julien, which is acting more like a sounding board. But he's also doing a lot of pre-scouting, so analyzing other teams' tendencies so that they, they prepare properly for their opponents. So Letowski's big into that. So... And he, but he's a guy that also which Ducharme did brought, as well. For, Ducharme yeah. did that too. Yeah. So he was brought in by Ducharme, uh, and yeah, and Martin Saint Louis having no no network and coaching already, he was brand new to this. So he said, "Yeah, I'm going to keep the same same staff." But if he was to look for somebody else, I wonder if he would not bring someone who adopt who's more into the philosophy of USA hockey. Because I feel like Martin Saint Louis is really influenced in his mentality by the way hockey is taught in the U.S. And having someone who's aligned with that uh, would probably fit with what he's trying to do. Uh, you know, that's more like uh, I think that's that's why Adam Nicholas and him, even though they've got very different personalities, they find a way to make it work well. Is because they've got they've got some similar ideas and. Um, so maybe, I don't know. So I, I would, I think I would be looking more towards the U S uh, but you, do you want a coach that would be focusing on, on the PK, for example, or is it some, somebody would have completely a different profile, you know? Well, I mean, if, if, if the, if we're looking for experience, yeah, 
and playoff experience specifically, uh, then, you know, I think those other things are probably like, you know, it, basically the Canadians and as much as we himself want a mentor. Is he someone who wants to mentor? And I don't know the answer to that question, honestly. Um, uh, does he need a mentor? I don't know the answer to that question either, but I do think that coaching an NHL club is very different in the playoffs than it is in the regular season. I also think that Martin St. Louis, having played as much in the playoffs as he did, uh, knows that and has his own ideas of, of I'm sure he second-guessed many of his coaches' decisions or challenged them on him or whatever. I mean, it's, you know, he does have some experience, just not the guy actually making the decisions. So, so I agree with what you're saying. It's actually a very interesting point, the whole USA hockey angle. And I don't think you're wrong, but if the prime objective is to add someone with experience um, to help guide this club, once it needs that guidance, then, you know, looking in a specific box really limits sort of the candidates that you can look at when, um, you know, I mean, someone like Jacques Martin, for instance, like before yeah. he went to Ottawa could have been a guy could have, would have been yeah. a great guy to work on the penalty kill and would have been just a guy to, to actually do the, it's literally the exact role he was hired to do in Ottawa originally uh, would have maybe been perfect. And, and maybe that's a way to do it that you don't actually add a coach to your staff you do what Ottawa did, not fire the coach and replace him with Jacques Martin. But initially what they did, like Jacques Martin was brought in as a coaching consultant, like someone that DJ Smith could go to and and discuss things with and bounce ideas off of. And maybe maybe that's simply what's necessary. Well, maybe that's simply what they could do as opposed to um, altering the actual coaching staff itself. Yeah, but Marty strikes me as someone who's very confident in his own ideas. And mm -hmm. maybe, I won't say that he would feel threatened, but I, I'm, I'm not sure that he would risk bringing in a guy that would feel like he's yesterday's coaching, you know, whereas he wants to bring fresh ideas and, and move things forward and not, not necessarily turn or, or surround himself with someone that would, that would have views that are more maybe traditional. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't want it to, I don't want to make it sound like, like, like it's derogatory, but, I don't know. Uh, it's 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 even delicate to bring it up with him because it would look like second guessing his own his own uh, assistants, and I think that he trusts his assistants, um, all of them. He does. So yeah, yeah. So he does. Anyway, we'll see. He's where loyal that, to them. He's yeah. as loyal to them as he is to Michael Pizzetta. Um <laughs> So another question here comes in from uh, from Daniel Nguyen, who um, is a fan of the podcast. Thank you, Daniel. Um, This question I thought I found interesting. It says, if you look back in some other teams' histories, it sometimes took one offseason, one draft, or one move to single-handedly transform the franchise for a generation without even having to draft a generational player. I can use the example of the Ducks with their 2003 draft, where they drafted both Corey Perry and Ryan Getzlaff in the same draft. Uh, the Sharks trading for Joe Thornton. The Bruins with their 2006 offseason drafting Kessel, Lucic, and Marchand, and also signing Chara as a free agent, or the Stars with their 2017 draft. Uh, Miro Heiskanen at three overall, but Jake Ottinger later in the first round, and Jason Robertson, I believe, in the second round. So um, 
Looking at the two off-seasons that Hughes has had, do you feel like they have the potential to have similar ripple effects? If not, what do you think needs to be done to have such a summer? It's interesting that he brings up uh, the Boston Bruins because that crazy summer was uh, all organized under the tutelage of one Jeff Gordon. Yeah. Uh, after Mike O'Connell had been uh, fired, and that was, mm-hmm. and as higher management in Boston were looking for a permanent replacement, they fin- uh, finally decided to hire uh, Peter well, Shirelli. Yeah, who who was hired already, but wasn't allowed to be at their draft table or take part in the Chara signing because Trelli was coming from Ottawa. And so yeah. uh, that whole thing was very, but dicey. to that list, but you yes. have to add, you have to add also that he, uh, they, they, um, they also traded for Tuka Rask against Andrew Raycroft. Yeah. And that, yeah. That's another thing that, that, that was a completely crazy off season for the, for the Bruins. Uh, one thing that strikes to me is that it, none of those teams, you know, bottomed out. There, there's no re- full rebuild type of situations there. Mm. Uh, you know, San Jose did not win a cup, um, but they, they certainly had v- many productive years with, uh, uh, with George Arnton. As for Dallas, I think they, I mean, it's crazy. It changed their organization in, in 24 hours. Those, those yeah. three draft picks. I don't think that the Canadians, I mean, it's too early to really say if the Canadians have already done that. And I think a lot of it hinges upon uh, future performances from Kirby Doc. Uh, but well, I think it, it's. That was, that was, those 20 minutes apart, those two guys were added to the organization. That's. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that's, that's got the makings of something like what, what Daniel's referring to here. Yeah, but Slap's the first first overall player, so it's not. Yeah, but I don't think he's going to be a generational player. I mean, he's not saying without drafting first overall. He's saying without even having to draft a generation. I mean, Haskinen was the third overall pick. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's just an an infusion of talent in one swoop. So basically, it would hinge on Slap becoming what he seems to be becoming right now. Doc becoming what he looked like he was becoming. and then some of the other pieces from that draft hitting. Hudson, like, yeah, Hudson. Hudson, mm-hmm. Owen Beck, perhaps. I mean, it's like it's yeah. it's the the two there's two building blocks there for that first draft of this or of this administration um to be that for this this organization. Um but yeah, it's I mean Engstrom was in that draft as well, the third round pick. Yeah. Um you know, we'll see what happens with Meshar anything's possible and Beck is, is a bit of a wild card as well. But I mean, if, if Hudson becomes special, if Slaff becomes special and Doc becomes special, not generational, but just really impactful players. And then, yeah, I think that first draft could potentially be, be that for this administration. Yeah. And happen in Montreal. And it haven't happened in Montreal. Yeah. When the entire yeah. building wanted them to draft someone else. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. A little bit of uh, revisionist history there, <laughs> but yeah, it'd be it'd be phenomenal. I think that's what they have to hope for because you could tell that even though Jeff Molson's been comfortable in using the word rebuild, oh. uh, below him, Jeff Gorton and Kent Hughes have found have been trying to find accelerators. 
so that they don't have to bottom out and be like the bad, the worst team in the league for five years and 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 try to draft top three for five years in a row before they start doing something relevant. So in the way that they've pros- they went about their business, getting that sort of of magic happening and getting that sort of quick turnaround would really be a major major key. So there's certainly that there are more pieces to the puzzle that need to be added. Uh, significant pieces, but if if what you describe with with Doc Slavkovsky and potentially Hudson mm. on the span of a day, basically, yeah. um, that that could make a big big difference down the road. That's yeah. a fun exercise. I like that. Yeah, yeah, it's good. But it is it is good to point out like there there are other ways to become competitive, and it's also worth pointing out that only one of the teams that Daniel mentioned actually won a Stanley Cup. Which would be Boston, what, obviously. Well, no, did Anaheim won a cup in 07. With, oh, yeah, uh, that's true. Anaheim Perry won a cup. And, yeah. That's true. You're right. Yeah. My bad. And the Stars might very well win one soon. And they went to the finals. Those two, the other two teams went to the finals. So that's not yeah. too bad. Yeah. Although, yeah, yeah. Um, on Twitter, there's Jeff M that says, in terms of building out the future roster cap wise, do they lock in Slavkovsky and Gooley for eight years extension this summer? How much would it take for each and also for Jackye? That's an interesting question. Um, for one thing we can say regarding Slavkovsky is that uh, the Canadians and Cole Caulfield waited after his entry level was done before they went on to negotiate. Uh-huh. So it's not because the team wants to sign a player as soon as he is eligible for a new contract that it's naturally going to happen. Sometimes it will. They'll Guys will you know, lock in as, as soon as possible. But m- in many cases, they will consider that it's in their best interest to play out that third year and show that they're even more valuable to their team than what they've shown in the first two years. So they'll 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 prefer the ELS the uh, the entry level to to finish before they sign that second contract. So Slavkovsky, if you consider the steps that he's taken from his second year compared to the first, well, he would be he would have every right to say, well, you like my second year? Well, wait until you see my third one. Yeah. And because I'm, it's going to be another huge step. And then the number would be different. The problem mm-hmm. for the for Montreal, though, and for any team, is that usually for young, talented young players, the longer you wait, the more expensive it gets. So, Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's really what, um, what's at play here. The one thing is that, you know, Ken Hughes' predecessor, Mark Bergevin, signing Nick Suzuki to his current contract, and Cole Caulfield sliding in just under it creates a bit of a template for Slavkovsky at some point, whether that's this offseason, whether that's next offseason. You know, it's – you don't necessarily have to stay under Nick's number, but I'm sure the Canadians are going to try and, and, and sell a vision to him that, listen, Nick's our captain, he's our leader – if we just all stay around that number, we can really build something special here. Whether Slavkovsky and his agent, Jerry Johansson, agree to that, um, that remains to be seen. I mean, that's, that's, that's the wild card. And so by waiting, like I could see him, if he wanted, if they wanted to sign Slav to a contract, let's say this off season, so an extension, 
which would kick in after next season. Yeah. And say, listen, we'll give you eight times 7 million or 7.5, let's say. Uh, would they go for that right, right away? Like that would be, that would be cashing your chips right now, not knowing what Slav will do next season. So there'd be an element of risk for both sides. Maybe Slav does not pick up where he lifts, lifts off. Maybe he doesn't continue playing the way he does. But I think that's kind of what it would look like based on what, if you're going to sign him for eight years, there's also, you can also bridge him. There's all sorts of other options you can do, but if you're going to bridge him, then there's no point doing it right away. Um, the only way I think the contract gets signed this summer is if it's, if it's an eight year deal. And if it's in the, the neighborhood, at least, of what Suzuki and Caulfield signed for, which is bonkers yeah. to even think about when, uh, when in November it was, it was, it was whether he'd be sent to Laval or not. So, um, but yeah. I think that's, I think that's the reality of the situation right now, especially if, if, if Slav continues playing the way he has the framework the framework of his contract is already it's 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 in black and white on the on the Canadians ledger already so mm-hmm. i think he would have to accept something you know probably probably less than cole cuz I mean, frankly cole's cole was more accomplished over his entry level contract than saf has been so far which is why i think saf would probably have some interest in waiting another year and doing it again and betting on himself and then seeing if he can get himself a really big contract Well, if he continues on that progression, the Canadians would be happy to pay more because it means that they've got a better player. There's no, there is an element of risk in giving a, giving him a lot of money based on a limited sample size uh, of half a season. But you don't have to take that risk because you got that that whole third year. So they, and also the, the other interesting situation is that with the cap moving up, there's going to be natural inflation they'll keep growing uh there'll be new guys that are finishing their entry levels that will sign for new very significant amounts out of their elc and they'll they're bound to take the most money probably that's available out of the that extra available money under the cap mm-hmm. uh it's it's the second contracts that that really take the cake these days but i wonder how long the Canadians will be able to keep that internal that internal cap of you don't make more than Suzuki. And I think that this uh, is I, I agree. I, I think it's a, it's about it's a it's about to be broken, I think. And Slavkovsky, if he continues like that and they wait for a third year at the end of his entry level, he he would probably earn more than Suzuki and Caulfield. Well, the number with Suzuki and Caulfield is is not the seven eight seven five and the seven eight five. Um the number with Suzuki and Caulfield is nine point four. They each take up nine point four percent of the cap this season. Uh Suzuki was a bit higher when he signed his deal. Cole is exactly nine point four. Uh next season the cap going up as you mentioned to eighty seven point five, nine point four percent of that would be eight point two two five. Um so If I'm, yeah, and you actually have to look at how much it would take. It would go up this season after that. Exactly, which is it's so if you maintain it to because, go, it's projected to get to about 92 the season after that. So, so you're talking like from a cap percentage per- perspective, you could respect the Canadians' internal cap while going over Suzuki's actual dollar figure. 
because it, it'd be easy to say, well, when Suzuki signed that, he signed for this percentage of the cap. So we are willing to sign for a little bit less than that, but it'll still be more from a dollar perspective. Yeah, that's a that's a popular way of looking that's at it. That's how agents look and, at it. That's how agents so look at it today, for sure. Yeah. It's uh cap percentages. Yeah. So as far as Gooley goes, that- I don't I don't know if I don't know if Gooley's contract is is in the same uh category, but definitely there are some comparables, particularly I mean, you know, I don't I don't know to what extent he's comparable to a Jake Sanderson, probably not. And but there's uh you know, I think I don't, I don't, I don't quite, I haven't been able to, I don't, I can't get a handle on what, but I think the Canadians would like to see Gooley play another season before getting into that. My, personally, that's my view. What, because of his play or because of his health? No. Because of his health? Because of his, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, that's, it's nothing that, um, but if you use Jake Sanderson as an example, I mean, the Sanders signed him. You know, prior to the season, they signed him to an extension uh, with one year left on his ELC, the way Gooley will have at the end of this season. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it was an eight-year deal at $8 million a year, $8,050,000. So um, that's, I think, the, the, what I'd like to see from Gooley is, like, what's what's the offense going to be from him? So I think Jake Sanderson yeah. has an element of offense to his game that got him that contract. Um, Bully's is still developing and, and, and it's not quite clear where that's going to go. Um, so I would want to see that from both sides, from the Canadian's perspective and from his own perspective, because he's going to get paid more as an, as a guy who produces points. He never has been a guy who produces points, even though he seems to have the tools to do it. He's never really done it. And mm. that's the big question mark because points get you paid. That's, that's, that's the reality. And so you're probably talking about the difference between a six or $7 million a year contract on a long-term deal or mm-hmm. something like what Sanderson signed for based on how you're going to produce offensively. Yeah. It's, it's a matter of opportunities and this, and in Gouldy's case, I mean, it's funny because we were, we're about to talk about Jack Eye's contract and Jack Eye has been the one getting some reps on the second power play, you know, at different moments in the season. Mm-hmm. But Gooley, if he was given that opportunity on a regular basis and with a healthy lineup, probably that the PP2 would look better than its current iteration, um, he would be able to put up more points. But it's I don't think that we can expect that Gooley will ever be a PP1 type of guy because uh, he's got so many more responsibilities that increases ice time that he won't be given the keys to the power play anytime soon. Not with Madison. And if if Hudson makes it down the road, here's another guy who would prevent that from happening. So I think that the, the there's what's challenging for a guy who has not shown that he could put up points a lot on a consistent basis is that when you're very good defensively and you face top opposition, it means that five on five, you're not only going to neutralize the best offensive elements on the other side, but you're going to generate points yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a tall order. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, but with Jack, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what he's going to, you know, he has to be, he has to be signed at the end of the season. That's it. That's interesting. I think, uh, yeah. I think the, 
I think the way his season's gone would make both sides agree that a bridge deal is what makes sense here. So I think a two to well, three year deal, but I mean, you look at, you look at how the Canadians have handled the new hook deal and the doc deal. Um, both of whom were RFAs, both of whom had question marks around them and they each got four year contracts at pretty yeah. reasonable numbers. So maybe they make that sort of hybrid decision with Jack guy where they give them a four year deal 2.5 a year, three a year, somewhere in that range and uh, say, okay, now you got four years to, you know, we're committing to you for, for more years. Now, now go out and show us that, that we're, that we're, that we're right. I could see them doing that. I mean, that would make sense. There's an opportunity for, there's an opportunity for a bargain there for the Canadians. Yeah. Somewhere around the time. third year or yeah. 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 But I mean, that's the, the, their pattern is just as their pattern with Caulfield, maybe should educate how, they'll handle the Slavkovsky situation where, where, mm -hmm. where they would wait until his contract runs out. Uh, maybe what they did with Doc and Newhook could educate us as to what they might do with Jack. All right. All right. Well, we'll wrap this up for today. Uh, Arpen. Yeah. I hope, uh, I hope everybody liked uh, today's episode. Uh, don't hesitate to uh, give us a five-star rating on Apple podcasts. You can also listen to us on Uh, watch us on YouTube if you're listening uh, through like a, an audio version of our podcast. So don't forget, you can subscribe also to the SDPN uh, channel on YouTube. So we'll be back on Friday. Uh, so some, some hockey to be there. There's a, it's a, it's a practice week for the Canadians. Practice Not week. The, yeah. Well, yeah. They got Buffalo. They got, well, it's a weird week actually. You got Buffalo and then, uh, and then the back-to-back -back Buffalo Pittsburgh. And then yeah. an afternoon game in Jersey on Saturday. So yeah, that's weird. A strange that's week, uh, but yeah, yeah. definitely a, a lighter week. But yeah, we'll be back on Friday to talk about those two games and whatever else happened this week. So we will talk to you then. Until then, have a great week. And future Friday, we might have a surprise for you. Oh. <laughs> All right, everybody. See you around. Bye-bye.